0: Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of gambling wrecks. All right, welcome back to episode number 96 of Unblocking Crypto. How great to see you again.
1: Hey, good to see you, Jason.
0: So some pretty exciting news here this uh, past week. Bitcoin hit $42,000, which is pretty much the pre- uh, terra and collapse and all that, which we haven't seen since April of 2020. So that's that, that's exciting. If you look at the year right now, Bitcoin's up 150% for the year. So, I mean, it's just, it's been a fun ride.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. And, you know, we're five months before the halving and we're at about two thirds of the previous all time high. So in the last cycle, we went to about 20,000 and drop down to like around 5,000, which is about 25% of the all-time high, previous all-time high. So I'm kind of like, if you start a bull run from an elevated position, I wonder what that means. It's like, it seemed, it feels like a lot of the money, like a lot of the crypto money that kind of goes in and out of, of Bitcoin and in, in back into US dollars. It feels like a lot of that money's back into Bitcoin right now and not a lot of the future money of the of the other sources of funds like from the ETF and the, from the new FASB rules and corporations and all of that money that we've talked about that money isn't actually here yet so that's that's something worth noticing i don't know what it means but it's 40,000 is pretty high compared to where we usually are in you know we're we're still kind of thawing out from crypto winter, right, in December before the halving. So it's worth noticing that we're here now and we're not here later. So some of this, some of these theories that we talk about might be real.
0: Yeah, and some, some interesting things to kind of go along with that. El Salvador is in the green or in the black, whatever you want to call it, right? So their investment is now positive. So it's going to start to become one of those stories that I think a lot of other countries seriously take a look at. Right. Because, I mean, we're above 40K. There's been a lot of talk that we may never see 40K ever again after this. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot happening. I mean, the ETF is big, but shoot, you look at MicroStrategy, they just bought another, what, 500 million dollars worth of Bitcoin. (laughs) So they're up to, I think it's like 6.6 billion dollars of value in Bitcoin right now. It's absolutely insane.
1: Yeah, I, I've been reading a lot about the El Salvador stuff because well, Bukele actually tweeted like, "Hey, we're in the black, and tourism's up, crime is down." <laughs> I mean, he went kind of rattled off a list of things that are good and it, 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 basically saying even if Bitcoin's price wasn't where it is, we're still we're still doing better. You know, never mind. I don't even know that he mentioned. How much money he saved citizens who are getting remittance payments from other countries. So this, if you're if you're around El Salvador and in, in culture and how your you know how your GDP works, not necessarily in size, right? El Salvador's real small, like 120th or something. So if you're fiftieth, right? There's a play there for you to improve your country use you don't need to get on a bitcoin standard to do it but just start tying into some sound money principles it's it's kind of like for me I got into bitcoin I started understanding it and then it led me into understanding macroeconomic stuff and it changed my politics and you know it just kind of starts to separate you from the the existing system right because you kind of you're tethered to something that that isn't manipulated and so if you start doing that it just changes the way you think a little bit and if your country's tethered to that then it it changes the culture a little bit so i think for me put the countries on the list with the companies on the list with the institutions like everybody has a mentor now right the institutions can look at gbtc they're like holy crap they got like six hundred and twenty thousand bitcoin and there's 12 of us that are that are trying to start an etf that have zero so all right how, how do we do it what do we do they they did it and they're still alive <clears throat> so we should do it companies have michael saylor and MicroStrategy. strategy they're more or less i looked at their sto- i looked at their stock in the last month i actually bought some of their stock in the last month because i sold some g- garbage like that i don't want and their Bitcoin holdings were, it, just round numbers, their stock price was 500 bucks. Their Bitcoin holding was worth 375 So their actual company stock price was 125 <clears throat> Well, if you go back to before they started buying Bitcoin, that was more or less where their stock price was. So, the, you know, that feels like a discount to buy MicroStrategy at $500 a share. If it was just the business, they'd be at $125. So, if you're a CEO or on a board of a public traded company and you're talking about shareholder value and what's important to you as a fiduciary and all these other things, you don't have to do what Michael Saylor did, which is leverage out the, out the butt to, to get as much Bitcoin as possible and, and get loans. I mean, honestly, maybe that door's shut while interest rates are high, and that's a much higher risk play. But Michael Saylor's locked in at like 1%, 1.5% on some of his loans. And he's up 20% 20, at least on his, let's see, he, his average, his cost basis is around 30000 And right now we're at forty two. So that's 40%. Is that that right? Three times four is 12, 12, is 3, tip? Yeah. So yeah. he's up 40%. He's paying 1% on his money. Guess what? Good move, right? Now- at some point those loans come due i don't know what he does if he sells bitcoin to get there or not but if he sells bitcoin into this rally that that i mean bloomberg says new super cycle 500,000 dollar bitcoin is coming if he can if he sells some bitcoin into that into that bull run he still has a ton of bitcoin that's effectively he got paid to buy it so uh, to me there's a mentor for companies and okay hey I don't need to do what he did, right? But I got $100 million sitting here. $25 million of it needs to go into Bitcoin. And it, it basically, as soon as the ETFs open up, that gets really easy. If you wanted to do it the hard way, I mean, Michael Saylor created a Bitcoin for corporations strategy that he gave out for free, obviously, because it's great for him if everybody buys Bitcoin. So people can find out how to buy it, custody it, all the legal and accounting processes that need to go into place. Plus... If you buy Bitcoin at 42 and it goes to 38 and you have a quarterly, you don't have to, you'll take the losses. But if it goes back to 50, you're not stuck at 38. That's how Michael Saylor was under the intangible assets accounting world that we were in when he started. Now, the FASB rules are you basically mark to market whenever you're doing a financial report. So it goes up and you get the value. It goes down and you take the loss, but you also get the gains. And that was not the way it was three years ago. So. Corporations, no reason not to jump in. It's it's way easier for them now than it was for Michael Saylor, but they got somebody to look at who who did it in a way that I don't think anybody else will do it like that. And he's still alive. So if you did it with less risk, you'll be all right. And then El Salvador, I mean, it's pretty easy to pretty easy to look at what he did. And there's plenty of countries that are struggling from a Inflation standpoint, from all these other problems, from remittances and paying Western Union eight and ten percent for their people to get money from where they're working out of, out of the country. So, again, uh, guess what? Hal's bullish about Bitcoin, but everybody knows somebody who's into Bitcoin that's that's in the black. Every company has somebody to look at. Every country has somebody to look at, and every every financial institution has somebody to look at. So, the excuses of not being into Bitcoin are starting to dwindle.
0: Well, and you're we're a month away before this January tenth date that everybody thinks is has this ninety percent probability that we're going to see an ETF actually be approved, and then the ease to get into Bitcoin for countries and institutions becomes much simpler than it has been. It's you could argue it's still a little bit difficult for a lot of those just because of what's happened with all the banks that were originally. The, the, the go-betweens between the crypto world and, and the fiat world. So, I, I mean, talk about an inflow or a rush at some point. Now, whether it happens on January 10th or the end of next year, who knows? But at some point, you're going to see a ton of cash probably come in because of the success of El Salvador and all these other micro-strategy and everything from there. I mean, shoot, it's crazy. Grayscale has, what, 3% of the circulating supply of Bitcoin right now?
1: Yeah, so if you add Grayscale yeah. and Michael Saylor to two, two <laughs> entities that aren't going to sell, you know, you're you're what eight hundred thousand Bitcoin. There's only you know one point eight million on exchanges available to buy, and that's if people on exchanges are willing to sell. People will <clears throat> move trans like people will transfer Bitcoin in <clears throat> as part of like an exit strategy, or or you know take some profits for some of these people that. I mean, it's been a long road, right? Like some of these people bought forty, fifty thousand, and had to ride it down to seventeen, sixteen thousand, and watch that, and get, you know, catch heat from the wife and all those things. So it might, you know, you and I are in that boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my wife, my wife doesn't. She's she trusts me more than I deserve, and so she doesn't give me a hard time about anything. But I don't. Also, don't really show her how things are going when it's down at like 17,000. It's more, we, I don't talk a whole lot about it and especially I don't like, we're uh, I'm not like, Hey, yeah, we're, we're buying more <laughs> We're we're down, but we're buying more. Don't worry. It'll work out. And this is a long term <laughs> deal. That's it, it's more like just, Hey, this is some, this is the extra money we have to invest. I mean, this isn't, this isn't tuition money. It's not, you know, retirement money. This is money we we've got that we if we don't buy Bitcoin, we buy stocks or we buy rental properties or we, you know, it goes into some sort of investment. And so for me, uh, when you're convicted and like you are, I already know people are going to pay $60,000 for Bitcoin. They already done it. And so does everybody else because it's all public. So at 42, this is I will say this is my first run up where I'm not like buying all the way up. I'm I literally, I was buying in the twenties and I'm like, I, I had a certain number of Bitcoin that I wanted to have for long-term. My kids, you know, my kids, my wife and I a certain number of Bitcoin for each of us. I got there a long time ago. And so everything else on top of that is money is Bitcoin. that if, if I want to turn that into vacations and, in, in college funds and stuff like that, and just say, "Look, I, it's been a fun ride. I don't wh- whether Bitcoin takes over the world and and it becomes the re- reserve currency and all these other things. That might take a hundred years, and I'm not going to be around to see it. But I would, I, w- I would be around to go on a ski vacation and uh, selling a little bit of Bitcoin to get me there. You know that that might be. I, I'm willing to trade Bitcoin for experiences and stuff. If I just want to have some money in my Checking account. I'm not going to trade Bitcoin for that. So if I can de-stress my life, I'd be willing to trade Bitcoin for stress. And if I can enjoy life, I would trade Bitcoin for enjoyment. And so I've, I've actually kind of started thinking about okay, what, what, when would I sell? Like you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars of Bitcoin is like getting close to where you know, five hundred thousand dollars per Bitcoin is kind of where my head is as far as like if we get there, that's like my first level of real success for bitcoin, right? It's it's you're up there with the gold market cap. And so that's to me if you can get to gold, you can probably get there pretty fast. But to get to to get to take over real estate or any of these other asset classes, that might take forever. And you know, bitcoin's scarce, my time is more scarce. And so if I'm if I, I don't need to wait, I don't need to die with all my bitcoin, right? Like that's not that's not as as much fun as trading Bitcoin for, you know, traveling and, and doing things like that or just not having to worry about, oh, man, what if my kid wants to go to a school that's super expensive for college? So uh, I'm willing to trade some Bitcoin to take off some of that stuff. But I also have more than I want to hold long term. So, you know, I kind of bought I kind of overbought on purpose. And it's weird because normally in these ramp ups, I'm thinking about buying how do I buy more? What do I need to do to get some more cash to buy more Bitcoin? And this one, I'm like, I need to have a strategy. If Like, I, what I don't want to do is just, like, one day be like, oh, this is good enough. Click, sell. Because, like, I, doing that buying is fine. I don't have a problem buying uh, at, on Emotion and buying, you know, when Elon Musk tweets about Bitcoin or or puts te- Bitcoin on Tesla's balance sheet. I don't mind smashing buy and putting some money into Bitcoin. But I, I do have a problem selling Bitcoin on Emotion because, like… There's way more regret selling than buying. You
0: no, know, I think the the biggest problem now is okay. If you sell Bitcoin, what do you do with it? You have cash. You're just going to sit on cash, and, and for how long? Right. So I, I I agree that it's taken me a couple of market cycles to get to the point where it's acceptable to sell because <laughs> it hasn't been like that for a long time. But and I, I guess the the key to all this is that it's still in a cycle. It's it's gonna go up and it's gonna come back down at some point too. So even taking profits is not really a bad thing because you're gonna have another opportunity to get back in in three years-ish, something like that. I don't know, we'll see, right? So maybe maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit shorter. Who knows at this point? But there's there's definitely no reason not to take profits and do something with that. And whether that's experiences or buying the house of your dreams or putting your kids to college is that's kind of up to you, right? Whatever you want, whatever you need to sleep well at night.
1: Yeah. And I have considered too of being like, Hey, you know what? If Bitcoin goes to 250,000 and I think 500,000 is like, I was like, if it hits 500,000 while I'm still young enough to enjoy money, like I was very fortunate to be born when I was born and be introduced to Bitcoin when I was, because you know, that's, That's kind of a once in a lifetime chance. And so if I pull forward some of that time and I sell it at 200 or 250,000, like everything in life, I'm just trading money for time. And so, yeah, I could have more money, but I'm going to be way older. So guess what? I don't care as much about when I'm older. Like I can't, I can't do all the stuff that I want to do when I'm 70. So to me, I got, I got a stash that's going to go to my kids whenever they're old enough to figure out, to to not sell it immediately and <laughs> be stupid. No matter how much I talk about Bitcoin and, you know, how to delay gratification and things like it, it some of that's innate. And uh, one of my kids that doesn't seem to have it. And so uh, I got to figure out how to, how to kind of gift that as an inheritance in a way that, <laughs> that it doesn't just disappear. But I mean, yeah, man, I, you gotta, what am I going to do? I'm going to just enjoy watching Bitcoin's price go up and down for the rest of my life. Like, no, I don't think so. So this is a weird, this is a different, this is like my first, this is my third cycle, which straight up cycle shouldn't have started yet. Just for reminder, the halving is in April. Price usually starts to ramp up towards the, towards like fall, beginning of winter, like October, November. And then you have a crazy year, like 2025 is supposed to be the crazy year. And then, you know, it blow off top in third, fourth quarter of 2025 is what it's supposed to look like on the four year halving cycle. ETF may blow that out of the water. And instead of having just crypto money bouncing around, we, and and new retail money, we may see an inflow of, of funds way before, you know, we're technically supposed to. So I put, it's um, it's a different cycle, so I'm treating it differently, and I'm older, you know, maybe a little wiser and maybe more mature, and I'm not freaking out because I last cycle I bought all the way up like 40, 50, 60. I got a per, I, I was looking at my buys, like I bought something in the sixty thousand, like over sixty thousand, which is like super reasonable based on where I was back then. Because I'm like, this thing's gonna break a hundred. I know it's gonna break a hundred. I might as well keep buying at sixty. That's almost double my money. And then that didn't work, but this time, okay, I, I'm I'm not talking about a hundred thousand. I'm talking about two. So what else did I put my money in that would do this well? You know, not a lot. So the good thing about it is you introduced me to Bitcoin early, so I've got Bitcoin that's that I bought in the single single thousands per Bitcoin, five thousand ish, something like that. And, you know, I'm looking at that. We're, you know, coming up on 10 X on that. And I've seen 12 X on that. So I know where we can go. And there's just more money in the market and more time in the market is better. So long term, you know, things are good. And this is, I think, I think 2024 is going to be more fun than it's supposed to be based on the, the market cycles.
0: So there's definitely a lot of positive things happening, for sure. One of the interesting things that I saw here recently, Cornell came out with a research paper talking about that Bitcoin actually, and, and mining specifically, Bitcoin could actually uh, mitigate uh, climate change, which is really interesting considering that, if I mean, if you talk with the Elizabeth Warrens of the world, Bitcoin is what caused climate change. And I think she even talked about that, there's another study about the BBC did that said each transaction or something like that or each block for Bitcoin used as much water as in a backyard pool, something like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin Bitcoin uses enough water to each transaction is worth a swimming pool. Which, yeah. so I th- I read that and I'm like, man, either they stumbled accidentally into using good terminology because a swimming pool worth of water is using the word pool is accidentally smart or intentionally smart because mining pools have been around forever so you're if you attach swimming pool to people thinking about using all the water in a swimming pool for every bitcoin transaction and then you actually start doing some research into bitcoin mining and they talk about mining pools every time you hear you see the word pool you're going to think about swimming pools full of water getting it sounds like destroyed but that's not uh, like it's not possible. You turn water into water vapor. I mean, this is, you're not, yeah, you, you you're can't not destroy <laughs> it. Yeah. kidding. So, you know, I've been in the power industry for a decade or so and, you know, yeah, you use water. You don't use water that you, that isn't available and it evaporates and then turns into rain and then it's back to water again later. So, you know, it's the water that they were talking about. Part of it, they talked about cooling, but there's very few water cooled mining operations but most of it is indirect water use due to the water consumption in the power industry generating the electricity that's used for my, for Bitcoin mining. You know, you're using steam to turn turbines. Is is the majority of the water that you're using? And so it goes. It all goes back to like, are you going to make that electricity or not? And you know, if you're, are you going to turn down that that natural gas plant? Is that natural gas going to be making electricity? Is it going to be load following behind windmills and solar? But it, it's just it's just nonsense because you can't prove anything. And a block could be two transactions or a hundred transactions or whatever, and it's the same amount of power getting used either way. So the the phrase "each transaction uses" is immediately showing that you they don't understand how the how it works. Right? The blocks are what are mined, not the transactions. The number of transactions per block is it's not arbitrary but it varies pretty wildly so if you wanted to say each block requires x amount of water that's fine i couldn't figure out if they discounted the water for the renewables that are used like the i mean yes wind turbines and solar require water to produce the actual equipment but i don't i didn't i couldn't tell if they were just like oh all of this is going to be based on an energy mix of fifty percent coal, thirty percent natural gas, ten percent nuclear and, you know, the rest and renewables. I, I don't know if they did a mix like that. I don't even know how you could know what the power mix is for Bitcoin mining. So it's it's kind of you know, whatever, man. I drive by I drive by a fairground every day that has a Christmas light display. You pay twenty bucks and you drive through the Christmas light display. Nobody's shutting those guys down because they're using a swimming pool full of water every two days. Like, it's Christmas lights. So, yeah, you
0: know. Uh, and that's just one city in the world, right? So Small every,
1: town, man. Small yeah, town. 30,000
0: people. Town, yeah, every small town throughout the country has one of those, or, or they're within driving a sense of one of those. So, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, we've talked about it in the past, right? A lot of this power that's getting used for Bitcoin has changed quite a bit just because they're trying to get it for low cost or, or free. So it's the extra power that the hydroelectric companies aren't using. It's the extra gas they're burning off that usually would just kind of go into the air that they're burning and turning that into power. But, and that's kind of what Cornell was saying is like, look, you do all these solar and wind farms or whatever, and before they actually go into commercial operation, you could actually have them mine big Bitcoin and make a lot of money. I mean, sometimes some of these farms could get up to like $3 million a year in Bitcoin mining before they're ever operational. So for a, a state like Texas, I think they calculated there's about 32 different projects that were being worked on. Out of those 32 projects, Texas would be able to get about $47 million worth of mining out of those collective farms before they get turned on and connected to the grid so i mean if texas is doing that granted they're probably one of the largest but you still you got california and colorado and the dakotas and everything up north and and going from there so the, the potential is huge to actually have some sort of roi which is crazy that it's turned into mining was what's killing the world and now mining actually could help things out because then you could take some of that profit and reinvest it back into more sustainable energy production as well so it's yeah. it's exciting to see and hopefully- two, two
1: quick things that you said one you mentioned hydro i didn't mention hydro and we talked about swimming pools full of water and i didn't mention hydroelectric power it would be absolutely hilarious if they included the water that's re- that is released through hydroelectric turbines as part of the calculations that it's like that water went from a high elevation to a low elevation. It's wasted water, so I don't, I don't know if that was included or not. That'd be hilarious if it was, because that would be a, that would be exactly how somebody would write that article when they calculated how much water. But if reporters aren't good at math, so there's no telling how bad that that uh, that 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 process was to get that uh, swing, swing pool worth of water per transaction out. And the other thing you mentioned was making renewable projects more more profitable one of the things about wind is the wind blows more at night when nobody needs electricity and electricity is super cheap so perfect opportunity for bitcoin miners to to coexist with wind farms so that if you're in a situation in a cold snap or or, or hot when people are running ac at night in texas things like that you don't need wind power at night in the spring and fall so let the miners run, let let them use cheap energy. And then you've got that energy to hit the grid and displace natural gas and everything else at night in winter and summer. So there's gotta be, there's gotta be enough smart people at the top that this thing's going to, this, this, this energy fear that they put into everybody has got to, it's got to stop Not much, not just slow down. So yeah, it's, it's garbage. Put that now that now that that BlackRock and the champions of the ESG movement are on Bitcoin side. It's it, it's a dead argument. It's just zombie walking around. It's weakened at Bernie's for for the energy fud.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the Elizabeth Warrens of the world that are still trying to spout this out, and you got to be careful what you hear. It just looked at another layer too deep. But you have the former president of the Texas Grid that came out and pretty much said. Bitcoin is a critical tool for clean energy and balancing the grid, right? And I mean so it's it's important, right? If you really want to be able to balance the grid, you need something like a Bitcoin that you can turn the power on and off when when you don't need it or when you when you do need it. Yeah.
1: You said uh, something like you said something like Bitcoin. There's no other energy consumer at scale like yeah. this that you, that doesn't care and you can just shut it down in seconds. Seconds. I mean, you can't even you can't turn down any major production facility in hours, right? Much less seconds. Mm-hmm. So it's it's such a valuable piece and nobody like the power industry is such a it's, it's like farming. It's a small number of people that provide a huge amount of, of usable goods and services. So there's such a small number of people that actually understand how it goes down and understanding it I mean, 99% of people have no idea what happens when they flip a light switch and like where those electrons came from or bounce where the energy started, where the electrons started moving, right? They have no idea why, how, how water pushes electrons with magnets. It's like nobody, like you can't, and there's no infographic that you can look at and understand it in in a short period of time. Like you and I are mechanical engineers. So there's, we have a huge advantage in understanding at least kind of the, the background of how things move, but you know, whether it's fluids or heat or electrons or whatever, but most people aren't there, man. Most people grew up flipping a light switch and, like, and the light comes on and they don't care how it comes on.
0: And I would say most people don't understand how fragile that whole infrastructure is. Where if, if something bad happens in one area, that could literally affect an entire sub area, right? I mean, the southeast or the east, it, it doesn't take much for the grid to get screwed up in a certain part to kind of take down the entire grid in, in a much larger area. right? And
1: oh, Great point. <laughs> People don't understand, like, we don't store electricity. It, it's it's made It coal, nuclear, natural gas, wind, whatever. And it has to be made really close to however much is being used at that moment. Otherwise, if you have too much, you're blowing transformers, and you don't have enough, you're brownouts. So, like, figure that out, normal person. It's hard to do, man. Grid stability is really difficult. Nobody gets that. So, yeah, it, it's just easy. It's easy. It's easy to talk crap. It's hard to make electricity run smoothly for and, and have no problems. Like it, it's really hard to stabilize the grid and Bitcoin makes it easier. So you're in sales. I've been in sales. The best freaking way to sell something is to take away a headache from somebody. Right. Oh, you got a huge problem. Plug in these Bitcoin miners and that problem makes, is, is almost gone you know, have a contract with this company, they can take 50 megawatts off the grid or put it on the grid for you in any time within seconds. What a freaking incredible thing. To, a, exactly. It's. I mean, it. <laughs> I, I've mined Bitcoin in my basement. It's a freaking light switch. You know, like, yeah. you know, it's going to be different on a bigger scale and da, 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 da. But like, man, if you're, if you're those guys, there's money, uh, it, Riot Bitcoin, right? I bought Riot Bitcoin mining. They don't their their whole strategy is to make energy not to have their own energy produ- production, but to use grid energy and have contracts, like make or take contracts, so that if the power company needs more power, they shut down, and the power company pays them to shut down. And if the, the power company is selling them power cheap in order to have that grid stability and 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 I mean, running things at hundred percent is more efficient than running them at sixty percent. So they'd much rather run at a hundred percent. It's easy, stable. It's better on all the all the gear. So let it run, and they pay, they buy the power and make Bitcoin, and then it's their choice to sell the Bitcoin or you know however they do it on the business side. So that and that's without building out your own electric electricity infrastructure. You know, some of these mining companies are buying dams (laughs) like they're buying stranded energy that like where it was energy infrastructure built for cities in america that had a lot of a lot of manufacturing and huge power consumers and that manufacturing went overseas so those factories shut down but meanwhile you still have these generating facilities that are just mothballed or just uh, there's a the energy grid pays you to keep Power facilities available. You run them once. You run them thirty days a year, and then they they cover some some of the costs, so that if they need that power, it's still available. Now, these are things that nobody freaking knows about, but it's mm-hmm. it's necessary in order to have stable energy. And if I mean, we saw it with Dadgum COVID. If if something breaks down in the supply chain, it takes years to recover. So if we lose power, like in a real way. It's going to take forever to recover from that from that hiccup. Also, you know, people don't understand but production facilities aren't built to shut down in a second. They're not built to lose power. And they're so you start doing that, you now you got to replace all that equipment that that gets damaged from being shut down too fast instead of, you know, slowly wound down. People don't get it, man. I wish more people were into 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 manufacturing and and big machinery and, and had an idea of what what it takes because they'd understand really quickly that the Bitcoin mining is is really good for the American energy infrastructure. And it's, you know, it's a good business, man. And that's why, guess what? Hash rates at an all-time high. Again, every week we talk, every week it's at an all-time high.
0: Yeah, I mean, just to nail that concept down one more time, I mean, to so the display market, right? I mean, people that are building glass for all your TVs and your and displays for your computer and stuff like that. If any of those facilities are turned off, it takes months, many, many months to turn it back on. So it is not a simple thing to do, which is why they pretty much just keep making glass and they'll sell TVs at cheap as dirt because it's cheaper for them to, to do that than it is for them to turn off for three or four months and then try to turn it back on.
1: Yep. I mean, paper industry is the same way. Nobody, you can watch one YouTube video of how they make paper. It's gigantic reams of paper, 20 feet tall, and they just run it so fast. It just winds it up so fast. And if they have a sheet break and it puts them down for 15 minutes, that might be 20 or $30,000 that they lose because the paper, the paper broke. Right. Or if they have an issue that brings them down for a week, you know, you're talking about a ton of money, and well, guess what? Guess who pays for that? The consumer pays for that downtime, right? It's like if the, you still got employees to pay, you still have all the overhead, you still have all the raw materials, and now you're having to back up your supply chain. Hey, we don't need all of this X, Y, or Z material because we, you know, we've been down for two weeks. You know, I, yeah, we're used to a, a once a week delivery, but we haven't used any in this week because we've been down. So, same kind of deal, man. It's people don't understand just kind of how, when you're running efficiently, how a hiccup can really mess you up. Yeah, so
0: from a mining perspective too, I mean, talking from more of a business perspective, we we just saw Hut8 and uh, U.S. Bitcoin Corp decided that they are going to merge. And I I think this could happen as early as next year, but they are two mining companies. Both of them have actually been able to Acquire some of the Celsius Bitcoin mining side of piece of things too, but it's it should be interesting. I mean, it's it's before the happening, mining is kind of one of those things. What's going to happen? And they're deciding to join forces. And to your point, where they have other streams of income, right? So they're mining, and they're also handling other services as well, so they can turn the mining on and off and still be able to to help with the other services and, and not be completely reliant just on a Bitcoin mining facility. So exciting to see that companies are kind of working together. And I mean, that's kind of what we're seeing in just crypto in general, right? I mean, all these companies are finding out that they can't do it all on their own and they have to find more and more people to partner with. And the more and more that everybody can start working together, I, I think the better off the whole ecosystem will be.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the weird things about the Bitcoin industry is it's like competitive and cooperative. If you listen to Jack Mallers talk about it, like the things are open source, you know, people can join in to the Lightning Network. Like, you want to build a company that provides coin transaction capabilities for retail? Tap into the Lightning Network. Cool with Jack Mallers. He's not out there trying to sell that, you know every single retail outlet to be a point of sale person he go for it he wants everybody to 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 tap into lightning network and you can make money and lightning lightning isn't concerned with making very much money so it's like where, where have you ever seen that you know this it's a it's a real strange thing from a like a capitalism standpoint but it's put it on the list of things where like it's probably better it's probably better if you start a business where you on day one, are thinking about being in at least a semi cooperative position with people that are semi competitors right be a way easier to to grow and you <clears throat> as a business owner, spent a lot of time being paranoid about my competitors taking over my stuff. <clears throat> if I could take just a little bit of that away, that's more energy I have and more resources I have to focus on building a better product,
0: yeah. So sticking on the FUD theme real quick, there was, I did see some stuff on the stablecoin side of the world. Circle apparently responded to the Senate Banking Committee because there's some group called the Campaign for Accountability that came out and said that Israel had like locked down 26 wallets, it held $93 million, it was funding terrorism, and those included... Uh, USDC, stable uh, Circle Stablecoin, and I think Tether as well. And Circle came out and said, Whoa, wait, wait, why are you throwing our name in here? We went and looked at this, and out of all of that money, there was a, and all those wallets, there was $160 of stablecoins that were transferred. <laughs> so, like, th- there's nowhere near 93 million. That's $160, but it is one of those things where Elizabeth Warren and that crew is saying, Oh, yeah, you guys are funding terrorism and you're a part of it. You're, you're a part of the problem.
1: $160 is Elizabeth Warren taking a couple people out to lunch.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the other thing, too, that's interesting, and I don't know how much you've paid attention to India and in the crypto space, but they, they could be one of the bigger roller coasters in terms of countries out there, kind of in the same boat as China, where they are all for crypto and then completely against crypto <laughs> yep. and then back positive again. So no one really knows what's going on. They, in, what was intriguing about them is they had all these like technology leaders and government. So they were for a while leading the charge in technology and then they thought crypto was going to uh, ruin everything. So what's happened recently, there's been 28 Indian crypto service providers that have registered with the country's anti-money laundering program which I mean is kind of a big deal like so now all of a sudden India has a lot of people that want to be involved in all of this now the crazy part about India is they have put forth some regulation which is good the problem is their regulation is a 30% tax on everything crypto (laughs) so I I mean, it's hard for it to really take off when you're taxing crypto at 30%. And I'm not even sure what the next highest thing is that that they're being taxed. But, I mean, there's nothing in the U.S. that's close to that other than, I guess, income tax, depending on how much you're making. But
1: Well, I mean, you know, capital gains uh, for me in the state of Georgia, if I keep it under whatever the you – know, Capital gains is 15% federal and for Georgia 5%. <clears throat> so I'm at 20% you know, I'm taxed at 20% capital on the gains. So that, if you're in a different state, it'd be even worse. The, and then if you, if you, I mean, you know, you're talking about corporate level stuff, then you're, I can't remember what the threshold is to go from 15 to 20% for capital gains taxes, maybe a million or more. It's not, it's not a lot, lot. Like if you're a business, it's not a ton. So, you know, we're already 20, 25%, depending on what state you're in. If you're in Tennessee, it's just federal I don't think they have a capital gains tax in Florida, things like that. But, but yeah, I mean, taxes are part of it, but 30% before you get off the ground and, you know, India is a collection of different territories and I'm sure that there's local taxes and things that kick in too. So 30%, 30% gets close to like, ouch, you know, one of the reasons why I don't work harder than I do is because I was getting to the point where every time I'm, every time I sold something if I sold some, if I sold a thousand dollars of something, you know, 50% of it went into overhead and suppliers and stuff. And then 50% of whatever was left went to taxes. And then 25% of that I could, I could sort of kind of keep. And it's like, okay, well, every time I sell a thousand bucks, I get two fifty. It's like, okay, well I got to sell, I got to work my tail off to make, you know, five grand a month, 10 grand a month more. I got to, I got to sell, you know, at least four times, that and and that's kind of like minimum sometimes it's five times or six times and that was in a and we were consider, I considered I consider to be like a pretty healthy margin so you, you tax people enough and they just don't want to do it like look at El Salvador man they're like the opposite <clears throat> come here don't pay taxes come here you know invest three Bitcoin worth and and get citizenship and guess what happens man people people want to go there but I guess if you're India you don't need people wanting to go there that are into technology and crypto they got a lot of people that are into that so maybe that's part of it maybe maybe it's like hey we're we don't need to be importing people that are into crypto and, and technologists we got what we need here and we kind of got a captured audience maybe 30 percent is the number that's low enough to get them to do stuff but not too high that you scare them off and then they they go from india to el salvador and le- learn to speak spanish
0: Yeah, so I'm not sure if you've seen the Bitcoin index that the CoinBits has come out with. Have you heard of this? I don't think so. So, uh, it is just based on the US, it'd be interesting for this to happen kind of worldwide and and then you're really going to start to see people vote with their their money and their feet. But what they've done is they've pretty much looked at every state in the US and decided who is, which states are the best to live in if you are a fan of Bitcoin.
1: Ooh, I like that.
0: I I think you're going to be shocked to know that Texas and Wyoming are definitely up there at the top. (laughs) Nice. Uh, But it it also, I think, included the Dakotas and Montana, and then Tennessee and South Carolina were kind of that top tier. And they had it almost divided into five different tiers. So that was the, the top tier. You could probably guess who's in the bottom tier, California. <laughs> New, York's New terrible. York. terrible. Yeah. So California and New York were definitely there. I think it was also like Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island. They were in the bottom. What was interesting, Georgia was in the fourth tier.
1: From the the top. bottom? So, oh. Yeah. That's so surprising. I, Georgia's the, been doing yeah. some friendly stuff as far as allowing Bitcoin miners and promoting Bitcoin mining. I, that's surprising they'd be in fourth. I, I didn't think they'd be in the top, but- Second to bottom. Next to Yeah. <laughs> right next to California well, and New York is not where I would have guessed.
0: Yeah, so and I, I, I mean I, I haven't dug too deep into the entire thing, but I think one of the things that I saw that hurt Georgia was there's almost this section of the possibility of something weird happening. Uh-huh. And because things weren't spelled out properly, there was like three states out there that weird possibilities could happen and california and georgia were somehow thrown into the mix of the same and they got like zero points out of that so it that uh, dropped georgia down a little bit but i mean fair. other than that georgia's
1: georgia's yeah. like a weird color purple politically too so like where are we going to if you're talking about doing a mining investment or any sort of big investment you kind of need a clearer path Than georgia could be a totally different place to do business in four years you know that, that's yeah that's fair but i i mean but the way I see it, as of today, it's not a it's not a very unfriendly crypto Bitcoin place.
0: No, I mean everything else looked really positive. I mean cost of living,
1: Yep, so power. I
0: mean, a lot a lot of the yeah a lot of the good stuff is is there in Georgia. It was they kind of got dinged on on one little section, and that probably put them a little bit lower than expected. But
1: I'd that, love to see thanks, something
0: like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd love to see that happen in, like globally. Like, who where are the countries? that are really pro Bitcoin. And I'm sure El Salvador is probably going to be at the top, right?
1: Yeah. I I'd like to be, know where Puerto Rico is. Other. Puerto Rico is a curious, I'd be curious. I, power would probably be a, <laughs> it, a it, it, tough to be stable power there, but man, being the United States, but not being taxed is kind of a big deal.
0: Oh, but they're not officially a state, right? So it, like it's, how do you consider them as part of like their own thing? I mean, they're, it's.
1: They get a lot of benefits from like, being a territory. I, I know that.
0: Yeah. It, it, so, yeah, it's a, it's a weird concept, but yeah, definitely a, a great place. But So one of the other things we talked about, too, was a lot of interoperability between different projects. And Cosmos had a, a pretty interesting possible partnership. I think they're kind of working through some of the details, but Osmosis, which is the largest DEX decentralized exchange for Cosmos, is working with a company called UX Chain, which is a lending protocol on Cosmos. And they're talking about partnering and kind of merging the two companies. And what that would really enable is probably one of the better DeFi experiences on Cosmos for sure. I don't know how to compare to the rest of the DeFi experiences in, in other chains, but it's kind of cool to see that you had two somewhat, they weren't really competing, but two chains in, in, in Cosmos that are now are talking about creating a single company, possibly taking their two tokens and making a new token, and then using some of the benefits that they each have to create something that's even more powerful for the marketplace in general. So more of that, I think, is what we're gonna to start to see as people decide they, they can't do it all. They need help, right? So mm-hmm. that's exciting to see. And then a couple NFT things real quick sure if you pay any attention to soccer, Ronaldo is a pretty big name, right? He is getting sued for a billion dollars for the whole Binance thing, <laughs> so um, I'll be interested to see kind of what happens with that. He did some NFTs on Binance and they're saying he made, or people lost $11 billion because of that, which I don't know if they've actually lost it, but yeah, theoretically they can't lose the NFT. The NFT could go down in value which is one thing, but it's not like they that can happen with any investment.
1: yeah it's um, also not like Ronaldo wasn't just a spokesperson are we are we suing spokespeople now? They're trying. Yeah. I think they're
0: going after uh, one of the Celtics players too but yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. I mean a billion dollars is a lot of money. That's a lot yeah. yeah so I'm sure that he will do what everybody else does and just say, okay, let me. Say, okay, I'll not plead guilty to this, but let's just settle for this amount.
1: Yep. Yeah. And let's make it go away.
0: Yeah. And then from a, an NFT marketplace perspective, and when I kind of got started in NFTs a couple of years ago, OpenSea was 90 plus percent of the market share. And kind of the latest that's come out is Blur now has about 80% and uh, OpenSea is around 17%, so a huge change from an NFT perspective, but it kind of goes back to what you're seeing at OpenSea where they decided not to pay creators their royalties, and that turned a lot of people off. So NFTs are still kind of coming back at this point, and there's a lot of things happening. I think even some of the board apes have sold for over a million dollars, so we'll see what happens with NFTs. I don't think they're going away, and I know nobody really wants to talk about them, but it's it's still something that I think we're going to see a lot more of at some point in the future.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, uh, I'm a Bitcoin guy all the way, man. And, I, I, you know, some of these Bitcoin people are like, everything else is useless. But, I mean, you remember like Crypto Kitties in, in 2017 and 18? It was like the biggest, weirdest kind of waste of thing. But it was like a fun little collectible. It was like Pokemon cards for people, you know. And mm-hmm. th- that kind of became NFTs in a weird way. And so in the next year or two or four, you don't know what NFTs are going to become. Like you can't just stifle innovation because it's not Bitcoin. So for me, it's like, yeah, I'm not going to waste my time with it, but the other people can. That's fine.
0: But well, we talked, I think last week, about Republic doing their securitized token, which is pretty much an NFT, where you're saying if you own this NFT, you get access to this whole portfolio of securities, and then the dividend gets paid out via an airdrop in USDC or whatever they were paying off out into, right? So, I mean, it's... They may not they may not be calling it an NFT, but it's pretty much an NFT that's being used to do that. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's all that I had for this week. Anything else you wanted to mention?
1: No, I mean, that's it for me. I If people are listening and thinking about this, I mean, if price is going nuts. I don't know... I don't really know how to sell Bitcoin. Like I don't know how to look for the ways to do it. You know, it's like buying is buying is easy. You just buy whenever you want. Or if you have a strategy, great. But if you don't, also fine. Selling, I you know, how, how do you sell and not regret it? I, I if you're if you're looking at that, like oh man, I'm, I need to do X, Y, or Z, or you know, these costs come up. Uh, I need to, you know, I can't pay for things in Bitcoin now. I want to hold my Bitcoin. I've already sold all my. You know, I'm sleeping on the floor. You know, I sold my bed five billion Bitcoin. I need to get a little bit out. Maybe that's something I'll think about this week a lot, and maybe we can have a little chat about that because I don't think you want to get into a feverish bull run. And and knowing like, hey, I want to, I, I, you know, I'm I got a strategy to sell five percent of my stack every year once it hits, you know, something, and or I just need some money. You know, one day may be better to sell than others, and I. I, I I haven't ever really waste, wasted my time worrying about that because I always thought that Bitcoin hitting close to my numbers was going to be super distant. But now I'm kind of put myself in a position where I've, I've got a little a position that that I can sell short term, which I don't think I've never. You don't hear a lot of that. You hear traders selling, but for the most part, it's Bitcoin buy hold and never sell. So I I, I need to kind of I need to do that for myself. So I might as well talk about it here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think my view is if
1: you've ever bought bitcoin
0: as long as you hold it for more than four years you're you're you will never lost money in bitcoin theoretically right so yeah i i expected to hold bitcoin for a lot longer than four years i'm gonna
1: be i'm at six years some of mine are six years old you know that's a good yeah. that's it's like uh it's like fine wine keep it in the barrel
0: well and i mean some of our your price targets and some of my price targets are much higher than this, right? So it's, it's not like I bought it thinking that I was going to hundred exit in the next year and then what would you do at that point, right? I mean that's the problem is where do you go?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you kind of need to trade it for, for experiences or things. You don't need to trade Bitcoin for dollars. I, I think that's a, I think that's for me that's a bad move. I don't want dollars. As soon as I get dollars, I got to put them in something else so they don't fall apart. But if yeah. I, if I convert them immediately into experiences or things that make my life less stressful or charitable donations or, you know, helping people's lives improve. Great. But yeah, I don't I don't, know. I don't need dollars. I would just buy Bitcoin with them anyway. So I'd just be paying taxes so I could buy more Bitcoin. So, so yeah, I, I need to, I need to put a little thought into that and figure it out. But like, the, I like to have a strategy before I need one. So it's worth me spending some time to do that this, uh, this week. I'll, we'll, we can talk about that next week.
0: Perfect. Sounds great. Well, Hal, great talking with you as always, and we'll, we'll chat again
1: later. Awesome. Thanks, Jason.
0: If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers, I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing
1: with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.